Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. One of the things that I love most, one of the things that I celebrate most, one of the things that I rejoice in most is what we are celebrating today. And that is we will celebrate with many who are going public in their faith in Christ to say, yes, I'm with Jesus. And they will do that through the practice of what we call baptism. So my hope today is that this will be a time for every single one of us to celebrate and to rejoice with these who are publicly saying, yes, I have believed in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm with Jesus. But I also hope that in addition to being a time of examination or a time of rejoicing rather, that it would also be a time of examination, a time where we are examining our lives. In fact, I would ask you to consider today, have you been biblically baptized? And if the answer is yes, let's celebrate that together. But if the answer to that is no, I believe that there are some things that God would have us to hear and to know and to potentially apply in our lives today. So this morning, as we open God's word, I want to preach to you from Acts chapter eight on this simple subject, biblical baptism. So if you got your Bibles, turn in the Bibles with me to Acts chapter eight. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be here on the screen in front of you here today. I'm convinced that one of the most confusing things in the church today, frankly, is that of baptism. There's a lot, even as I say the word baptism, perhaps there's a lot of ideas that come to your mind. A lot of different thoughts, a lot of different teachings, a lot of different perspectives. And and in many of those things, frankly, there can be so many different answers and so many different notions that it can be, be very, very confusing. I'm reminded of the illustration of a Sunday school teacher one day. She was teaching a class of children And she asked the question, she said, can anybody tell me what baptism is? What what is baptism about and what happens when someone is baptized? And of course, as a typical Sunday school class, nobody wanted to speak up with an answer. And finally, little Jimmy had confidence about himself. He raised his hand that he knew what baptism was. And she said, all right, Jimmy, why don't you stand up and tell the whole class what baptism is? And Jimmy said, that's really easy, teacher. Baptism is when the preacher puts you under the water, and he puts you under the water so long, you think about what it'd be like to meet Jesus, okay? Well, uh, he had some ideas about that, but he wasn't exactly right. We all have lots of ideas about baptism. In, In fact, I would suggest to you this morning that one of the things that I love most about Crosslink Community Church is that we are a very diverse body of believers. We're a very diverse group. In fact, I remember my first Easter Sunday here, This would have been the spring of 2017. My first Easter Sunday here, I remember learning the phrase, he is risen in six different languages. And they were the languages represented by the people who are a part of Crossland Community Church. And then as I got done with the message and I walked off the stage after having heard this phrase, he is risen, a gentleman came up to me and said, pastor, let me share it with you in a seventh language. And he taught me the phrase, he is risen in sign language. One of the things I love about Crosslink is that we come from a diversity of backgrounds. We have different people groups represented and different languages represented, different cultural experiences represented. And I love that because of the health that it brings to our body. 
But not only are we different in the sense of our backgrounds uh, and our cultures, if you will, many of us have a diversity even in our church experience. In fact, many of us here today, we, some of us grew up in Christian homes where we grew up in, in some of us in Baptist churches or in Mennonite churches or in Methodist churches or Presbyterian churches or Church of God churches or Assembly of God churches or non-denominational churches or interdenominational, whatever that is, right? There's all these different types of churches and backgrounds. And we are all now, many of us together here at Crossing Community Church. And on the other hand, there's a great number of people right here at Crosslink who didn't grow up in a Christian family. They didn't grow up going to church. They didn't grow up hearing the gospel. In fact, many people in our church, they're the very first Christian in their family. They're a first-generation believer who's learning what it means to know Jesus and to follow him and to live for him and now to lead their family to know and understand the truth of the gospel. So, so the key to that then for me is, is how can we be unified in this topic when frankly there's such diversity? When we come from these cultural backgrounds and these different languages, when we come from these different church situations or no church situation at all, how can we be unified? Well, here's the reality. I'm convinced when it comes to every topic in life, but especially the core doctrines of the Christian faith, what matters is not what you experienced growing up, growing up or what I experienced growing up. What matters is not my preference or your preference. What matters is not what I was taught as a child or not taught as a child. What matters in all things is this, what does God say? What does God say? Because the very moment I allow my background and my experience to trump what God says, I am in essence making myself a God and saying, what I want to do, I will do, or what I have experienced is truth. When the reality is, is that in every situation, we simply have to get to God's word and say, what does God say? Well, my hope this morning is that we can look at what God says about baptism. And then having received that, we can understand it and ultimately apply it to our lives today. Does that sound good to you? Let's study baptism together. What does the Bible say and how does it apply to my life today? I want to ask if you're able to, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 25, biblical baptism, the Bible says this. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. 
As they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Verse 37. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to the cities until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the simplicity of this topic of baptism. And yet, God, there's such profound implications as we apply it to our life. And so, God, I pray today that we would celebrate well with those who are following you in obedience to be baptized. But God, I also pray that you would help us to examine ourselves well. God, today, if that if you would have us to step forward in obedience, I pray that we would do it with complete surrender, complete faith, and complete willingness. Have your way in each of our lives right now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Biblical baptism. It is important for us to know what the Bible says about baptism, frankly, because it's become a major area of confusion in the church as a whole today. For example, sometimes we confuse who should be baptized. And no doubt, as we have various Lunch with the Pastors events here at Crosslink, and we go through that membership process, people ask questions. And one of the things that we are most often asked questions about is the topic of baptism. And largely, it surrounds around who should be baptized. Should we baptize infants, for example? Should we baptize anyone who simply wants to be baptized? Or do we need to baptize someone when they come here from another church? Who should be baptized? Sometimes we have confusion about uh, how someone should be baptized. Should we sprinkle some water on them here? Would this suffice in this setting? Uh, do we need to pour water from their head that goes all the way down to their toe? And, and why is it that in some churches like Crosslink, there's this weird looking round bathtub thing at the front of the worship center? I mean, what is that really all about? How should we baptize? Some confuse the question if people should even be baptized. Is it really that important? Uh, what about if a person was already baptized as a baby? Do they really need to be baptized again? What about the person on their deathbed? Or is it really that important in the grand scheme of things? We also have confused when someone should be baptized. Should we wait till they get to a certain age? Should we have them jump through a certain amount of hoops? Do they have to go through a series of classes and prove their credentials first? When should someone be baptized? If you look at it from that perspective, we quickly realize there's a lot of different questions and confusing, confusion surrounding this topic. But here's the fact. It's not confusing because of the Bible. Baptism is not a confusing mess with all these questions because of anything that the Bible says or doesn't say. It's confusion, frankly, because of the many things that as man and as organized religion, we've added to it. We've added our own rules. We've added our own wants. We've added our own ideas, our own agenda, and our own opinion. My hope today is to look at God's word and simply say, what does God's word say and how does that affect my life today? So looking at Acts chapter eight, I want us to see this morning four simple truths about biblical baptism. 
four truths about biblical baptism. And I believe, uh, Acts chapter 8 is one of my favorite passages of scripture that deals with this topic because it paints for us a powerful and yet practical picture of what baptism should look like in our lives today. So if you're ready to study biblical baptism, just let me know you're with me. Would you say amen? Glad you're with me. Four things I want us to see about biblical baptism. Number one, I want us to consider the conviction about baptism. The conviction about baptism. This answers the question, why should I be baptized? Why should I be baptized? The Bible tells us in this pastor's scripture, there are two main characters. There's a man by the name of Philip who was a deacon in the early church. He was a man who was noted as being full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. He was a man who served in the practical needs of the early church. But by the time we learn about him in Acts chapter 8, we also discover that Philip, along with many of the other disciples, had been sharing the gospel, and in this case, he was in the region of Samaria. In fact, at this point, we understand that Philip, in many ways, even though he was a deacon, he was also preaching, and he was proclaiming aloud the true message of Jesus, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again, and offers salvation to all. And it is on the hills of that ministry to Samaria that the Holy Spirit says to Philip, now, Philip, get up and go down to the desert road, which leads to Gaza. I think it's important for us to just be reminded that there are times that God leads us to minister to a multitude of people, to a crowd of people. But there are also some times that God calls us away from the crowd to minister to the one lost sheep that needs to be reached. And in this case, that's what was happening. The Spirit said, now get up, Philip, and go down to the desert road to Gaza. He didn't explain the details. He didn't tell him who he was going to see. He didn't let him know the conversation he was going to have. He just said, get up and go. And so Philip does. He gets up and he goes down to the desert road, headed down to Gaza. And as he does, something stands out as out of place. There was a chariot there, but not just any chariot, an elaborate, ornate chariot that was obviously of of royal possession. We know now that this chariot belonged to Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. And so the Bible tells us that Philip saw this and he knew that this was a unique scene. And so Philip began to run up to the chariot. And as he makes his way to the chariot, he notices that there is an Ethiopian eunuch that's sitting most likely in the passenger seat of this chariot. Now the eunuch would have been a man of great position and great authority. He would have been a man who, frankly, would have had servants, and he would have had soldiers that that did what he commanded. He was a man of great respect and position. Eunuchs in that culture uh, did not marry, and their entire life purpose was to serve the king or the queen, and that's what this eunuch was doing. And so the Bible tells us that as Philip approaches the chariot, the eunuch is reading something. He's reading the scriptures, He's reading most likely from a scroll, and he's reading about the prophet Isaiah. And so Philip asked an interesting question. He says, sir, do you understand what you are reading? Do you understand the scriptures? Do you understand what is in your hand? And the eunuch says, how can I understand unless someone should guide me? Isn't that just an honest confession, right? Have you ever been reading the Bible and you're just like, what in the world is this saying? I can't understand it. I wish I had someone to guide me. Well, think about the context for a moment. This eunuch had never been to a church service like we're having here today. This eunuch did not grow up learning about the God of Israel. This eunuch did not know anything about this man named Jesus. 
In fact, he had left Ethiopia and he had come to Jerusalem to learn about the God of Israel. The Ethiopians had heard testimonies of the power of this God of Israel, his power to deliver and his power to save and his power to heal and his power to give victory. And so he had come from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to learn about this God so that he and his people could worship this God. But sadly for this man, he found what many people still find today. He had gone to Jerusalem, and in going there, he hoped to find answers, but all he found was a dead, lifeless, self-righteous religion. When he got to Jerusalem and he got to that temple to learn about the Jewish God, frankly, all he saw were a people that had come up with their own rules and their own laws and their own form of religion, and frankly, he left disillusioned and disappointed. There was no answer to his questions. There was no peace in his heart. There was no salvation in his soul. Somewhere in the process of being in Jerusalem, he had gathered a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah wrote 700 years before the birth of Christ. And so as he's reading, the Bible tells us here in verse 32, he was reading the portion of Isaiah that said, he was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he does not open his mouth. And upon reading that, there was something that captured his heart. There was something that kind of arrested him where he was. Because frankly, he had already been to Jerusalem and he had seen the religious leaders who were all about themselves and all about their self-exaltation and all about themselves being honored and put on a pedestal. He had seen that and he knew that's not what he was looking for. After all, in Ethiopia, there was plenty of that. There were plenty of people doing what they wanted to do. There were plenty of people wanting themselves to be worshiped. But there was something about reading this prophet Isaiah about this one who literally would lay down his life. He recognized this was not just speaking of a lamb, but of a man. There was something about this one that he was reading about who would give his life selflessly. He didn't come to serve, but to, or to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life. Even to the point when people were falsely accusing him, he would stand silent before his accusers because he knew he had come for a purpose to give his life. And the eunuch recognized there's something unique about that man. That's different. Could that be the answer that I've been looking for? And so as he reads these verses, he get, lets Philip get up in the chariot with him. Philip begins talking with him, and then he asks the question. Is the prophet speaking of himself or of someone else? Is Isaiah, this prophet that I'm reading, is he talking about himself giving his life as a sacrifice like a lamb before his accusers? Or is he talking of someone else? And the Bible tells us that Philip at that point began to preach Jesus to him. I believe Philip was excited, man. He got up in that chair and he said, let me tell you what, I, I can give you the answer to your question. Let me start right where you are and let me tell you the story about this man named Jesus. That's what Philip did. I believe Philip started right there and he said, let me tell you, Isaiah was prophesying that one day a savior would come. God would send a savior into the world. He would live a sinless, spotless life. He would be falsely accused before people. And even though he didn't deserve it, he literally gave his life on a cross as a substitute for me. I believe he began to tell him the story of those things. I believe after he told him this prophecy of Isaiah, he began to fast forward in time and Philip began to tell him about the angel that one day spoke to Mary. And he began to tell him about the virgin birth. 
And, and then he began to talk, tell them about Jesus as a child, how he was left one day at the temple. And even as a child, he taught in such a way that it confounded the scholars and the scribes and the priests. And they were amazed because even as a child, he taught as one who had authority. But then, as Philip begins to explain the story of Jesus' life, he got to a very interesting point. And that point was this. That point was that Jesus himself before he began his earthly ministry, guess what? He was baptized. In fact, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, that before Jesus began his earthly ministry, where he would go about doing miracles and doing works and wonders that they had never seen before, Jesus was publicly baptized. Why? Because it was through baptism that he was identified as being with God the Father. Listen to what the scripture says in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, listen to this, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, Jesus' public baptism was a public demonstration of the fact that he was identified as being unified with God the Father. The eunuch heard this. And then he went on, Philip did, to explain the fact that Jesus lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. He was buried in a tomb. Three days later, he rose again from the grave. He appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses at one time after he rose again from the grave. But that's not all, Mr. Eunuch. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, in Matthew 28 through 9, verse 19, Jesus commanded us, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's saying, yes, Jesus was baptized as a means of identifying as one with God the Father, but Jesus also, he commanded us to go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because baptism is a way in which we publicly identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. So why should we be baptized? Because it is God's express way for us to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. So having received the good news of Jesus, the man had heard enough. In fact, he had conviction in his heart at this moment that Jesus wasn't just a man. Jesus was God in flesh. Jesus was the Savior of the world. And he, in this moment, came to a very clear conclusion. Notice what he says in verse 36. In my mind's eye, in my imagination, as the chariot begins to turn the corner, up in the distance they look and they see a body of water. We're not told if it's a river or if it's a good southern pond like you'd find in Alabama. I don't know. But they see a body of water, and the eunuch says, look, water, and then ask the question, what prevents me from being baptized? What's hindering me today in this moment from being baptized? Why did he ask that question? He asked that question because there was conviction in his heart that Jesus is who he says he is. There was conviction in his heart that baptism is the way by which he would identify with Christ. There was conviction in his heart that this is the step that he needs to take. I'm convinced he asked the question because of the conviction that was already present. He asked, what prevents me from being baptized? In other words, he's in essence saying, 
I hear the message that you're telling me, uh, Philip. I'm convinced that it's true. I see water right there. Is there anything that should stop me from being baptized right now? I believe God is showing us this morning that there needs to be a conviction in our life, that baptism is the way by which we simply identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe God can use that to encourage us and what he can use that to challenge us. There are some who would say, but pastor, what about that situation, that rare situation? What about that, that person on the cross who believed in Jesus and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. What about him? He wasn't baptized. Don't allow the very rare exception to be an area that allows an excuse for you to be disobedient to God. And in this moment, I believe what's happening here is that God has given this man an opportunity and he is seeing that. That thief on the cross that day, man, he would love to have had the opportunity to be off that cross to experience a life again and to be able to live for the Lord, to be obedient to the Lord in that way. I believe what God is saying to us this morning is that there must be conviction about baptism. It is our way of identifying publicly with the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing I want you to consider then this morning is the condition for baptism. If you're still with me, would you say, all right? The condition for baptism. It may come as a surprise to you, but God gives some, it gives a prerequisite to baptism. Is baptism for anybody that's breathing? No. Is it for anybody and everybody who wants to be baptized? No. God actually gives a prerequisite. That may come as a surprise to you. But we see it here in this pastor scripture in verse 37. The condition for baptism answers the question, who should be baptized? Notice the statement in verse 37. This passage, this phrase is actually eliminated from some of the versions of scripture because they've simply taken it out of the manuscript. Verse 37, Philip said, here's the answer. What prevents you from being baptized? There's one condition, one criteria, one prerequisite. Philip said, if you do what? Believe. God does have a condition that must be met in order for you to be baptized, and that is that we must believe. In fact, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. In other words, Philip is saying, listen, I appreciate your intention. I appreciate your desire, but I want you first to examine yourself. Do you believe? Now, I think about that for just a moment. There's a lot of things that Philip could have said that he didn't say. Oh, well, well, Philip, what prevents me from being baptized? Philip didn't say, well, well, sure, you should be baptized. You're a good old boy. Let's get you baptized. That's not what he said. Philip didn't say, well, you know, you, you have been reading this scroll here a lot. You've been really intensely focusing Isaiah, and I can tell your intentions are good. So, yeah, let's get you baptized. That's not what he said. Philip didn't say, you know what, you, you've made a lot of sacrifices. You've come a long way to get all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. So I tell you what, since you've made these great and noble sacrifices, absolutely I'll baptize you. That's not what he said. Philip didn't say, you know, you're such a respectable person. You're well-liked, you're, you're respected, you're honored, you're a man of position and authority. So yeah, I'll baptize you. That's not what he said. He said there's a condition. If you believe. My question for each of us this morning is very simple. Do you believe in Jesus as a son of God and as your personal Lord and Savior? If you do, I believe God is showing us that the next step is to practically demonstrate that through baptism. 
Now, now there are numerous situations in life that come up, and as a pastor, frankly, I, I sometimes still can't believe I've been a pastor for 16 years. That does not seem that long, but it's been 16 years. And I remember early, early, early on uh, in pastoring uh, being reminded of how quickly our motives can be wrong and, and, and we can be caught up in other things. And I was taught that early on through the illustration of a child. I'd been pastoring for about six months and there was a couple that had moved to our area and they had been attending our church. I had lunch with the dad and they just seemed to be a solid, solid family, loved the Lord. And they came to me one day after church and they said, hey, pastor, we'd like to talk with you. Our son wants to be baptized. And he's so excited about it. He cannot wait to be baptized. And I said, well, that, that sounds great, but I would love to meet with him, with you guys, and we'll talk together. He was a young child. And so frankly, I didn't know if he had accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. I didn't know what he knew or didn't know. And so I just wanted to meet with him. And so I remember uh, setting up that meeting. We met in our, one of our children's ministry classrooms so that he was in a comfortable environment. And I remember, you know, kind of sitting in one of those little, little toddler chairs so I could look at him eye to eye. I don't know how that thing supported my weight, but it did. And I remember us talking and just talking about different things. And finally, we got to the topic of baptism. And there's no doubt about it. He was so excited to get baptized. I mean, his eyes were big and there was joy. And there were, I mean, you would have thought Christmas morning was around the corner. He was so excited to get baptized. And so as I would ask him a question about baptism, he would start answering. But it didn't take but a matter of seconds to realize something about his answers, granted he was a child, was a little off. Because as I would ask him a question, he would start talking to me about his really cool, brand new swimming trunks. That's right. So I asked a question, and he would try, try to talk a little bit, but, but, but my swimming trunks, they've got these really cool fire flames on them. I'm like, all right, that's cool. And I'd ask him another question, and he starts talking. And I'm telling you, every question about baptism, no matter how I phrased it, no matter how I asked it, no matter what I did, he kept going back to these really cool swimming trunks. Well, of course, I found out in a matter of time, he had a cousin who had gotten baptized in the previous year at another church, and his cousin wore his swimming trunks to church, and this little boy ultimately thought, and the reason why he wanted to be baptized is because if he got baptized, he could wear his cool swimming trunks to church, and his mama would let him get away with it, okay? That was his motivation. And I remember at that point saying, you know, I, I, I don't think he has yet understood the truth of the gospel. I don't un believe it. Now, since then, praise God, a few years later, he did accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He was baptized. Today, he's now uh, graduated high school and still living for the Lord, and I'm, and I'm very proud of this young man. That might be a lighthearted, humorous illustration, but here's the fact. The fact is there are many things that can motivate someone to move forward in that. But what God says is, listen, you need to first and foremost examine, do you believe? Every baptism recorded in the Bible has one key prerequisite, that is belief. Listen to what the Bible says in Acts chapter 2. In fact, in the book of Acts alone, there are like seven references. I'm going to show us three where we see the prerequisite of belief and then the evidence of that belief is an outward demonstration through baptism. Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 39, Peter preached, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. In verse 41, notice how they responded. So then those who had received his word were Baptized. In other words, those who received his word, they believed it, they accepted it as true, and the evidence of that is that they were 
baptized. In Acts chapter 8, verse 5, the Bible says that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. Tell them about Jesus. Verse 12, here's the result. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. It goes on, Acts chapter 16, verses 30 through 33. Paul and Silas were ministering to the jailer, and the jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? And they answered in verses 31 through 33, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house, and he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. Do we see that? The condition is that you must believe. Having heard this statement, the one condition is you must believe with all your heart. And Philip said, then you may be baptized. What did the eunuch say next? He said this, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. This man couldn't wait any longer. He immediately expresses this conviction in his heart. He immediately uh, proclaims this truth. Yes, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. Yes, I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. Yes, I believe that he rose again. Yes, I believe that he's Lord. He didn't want to wait a single moment longer. He confessed his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation begins the very moment we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord. But baptism is our outward way of demonstrating our faith in him. Philip gave this condition because Philip understood. If he hadn't first believed, his simple actions would have just been going through the motions. Philip knew that if the man didn't believe and they got out and got into that water, he would just be going through empty, ritualistic motions that wouldn't matter at all. There was nothing that magical about the water outside of Jerusalem. And I assure you, there's nothing magical about the water from Rockingham County today. There was nothing magical about Philip, the one doing the baptism. And, and as much as I love our pastoral staff, there's nothing that magical about us, Pastor Terry. We can't save anybody's soul or change anybody's life. The, the motion and the action itself, it doesn't save. We are saved the very moment we believe in Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord. Baptism is simply our outward way of demonstrating publicly what God has already done inwardly. So a person is never baptized in order to be saved, but because he has already been saved. The biblical process is that you hear the gospel, you believe in Jesus as Lord, and then you demonstrate that outwardly through baptism, which means that is incredible news for us today. The only condition for baptism is that we believe. In other words, our baptism is not based on our background. Our baptism is not based upon whether you experience certain things growing up or not. Your baptism is not based upon what you have or haven't done, whether you did or didn't grow up in church, whether you know a million verses of scripture or not, whether you got Awana Awards as a child or never even heard of a Awana ministry. Your baptism is not based upon whether you have a degree in theology or whether you know nothing except for the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's only one prerequisite. Your baptism is not based upon your name even in the community. It's based upon one question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Lord of all? That's the condition that Philip sets out in Acts chapter 8, which brings us to the third point. That is, we see the choice to be baptized. 
the choice to be baptized. This answers the question, when should I be baptized? Can you envision the scene as that chariot crosses that corner and up in the distance he sees the water and he says, I I see the water. What prevents me right now from being baptized? Philip says, you gotta believe with all your heart. And he says, with conviction, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. But notice the next statement. He didn't stop there. He didn't make excuses uh, along the way. He didn't delay what he knew God wanted him to do. Notice the next statement in verse 38. And he ordered the chariot to stop. He ordered the chariot to stop. In other words, he looks at the servant who's, who's if you will, managing the, 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 the chariot, who's driving along the way, and he says, stop. Don't, don't go any further. I don't want to miss this opportunity. I don't want to miss this moment. I believe this gospel message. I've received what this man has told me, and I see water right now. Today, right now, right here in this moment, I choose to say yes to the Lord. I love the fact that he did not delay his obedience. I, I love the fact that he didn't make excuses. Well, let me think about this for a while and ponder if this is what I really want to do. He didn't ask the question, what will others think of me? He he didn't think to himself, wait a second, I'm a grown man. I shouldn't have to be baptized. I mean, isn't what my family did for me when I was a child in Ethiopia, isn't that sufficient? It's not what he said at all. He simply recognized the opportunity that God was giving him. And he said, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss my opportunity to be publicly identified with Jesus Christ. I don't want to miss my opportunity to say yes, to obey the Lord. He didn't try to find another way around it. He didn't try to justify some other sort of method. He didn't try to find a way to bend the message to meet his own wants and needs. No, he recognized the opportunity and he ordered the chariot to stop. He was ready. He chose to say yes to the Lord. Can I just tell you this morning, I believe it touches and blesses the heart of God every time we say yes to him. When I think about this type of immediate obedience, my mind goes back to numerous illustrations, but there's one illustration that stands out above them all, at least in my life. Many years ago now, I was pastoring in my first church. I was in Christiansburg. And on one particular Sunday, there was a young man, he and his family had been visiting the church. And uh, I didn't really know his testimony or background. I didn't know really anything about him except for the fact that I knew some of the things, I knew that he liked race cars. And I knew that he had a background with, literally with racing. And so we had some conversation. I'd gotten to know his family a little bit, but this one particular Sunday, he came up to me after the service and he said, Pastor, would you come meet with me this week? There are some questions that I have, some things that I want to talk to you about. Uh, Would you come meet with me at my shop? This man owned his, uh, uh, his, his own small business and he had some flexibility with his schedule. And so I said, absolutely. I'll meet you on such and such a day and time. And sure enough, that time came and I went to meet with him. I had no idea what we were going to talk about or what the day would hold. At the time, it was late January, early February. It was a cold time of the year. And so I went into this guy's shop. He was a mechanic and he came to a stopping point and we literally sat kind of across the hood of this vehicle talking back and forth. And he said, well, I've got some questions for you. And literally, we went to this little office area and, and, and he had a, a notepad and he opened that notepad and I thought, we're gonna be here for a while. And we began to talk. He began to ask me questions. We began to talk about the Lord and about his sacrificial death. We began to talk about what that really means for us and how we were a sinner in need of salvation, need of God's grace. And we went through all these different questions. 
And as a process of that, it was obvious that God was working and God was moving and God was stirring. And he had believed in Jesus to be his Lord and Savior, but he had never been baptized. And so I remember we got to this point in the conversation where it was quiet. I felt like I'd answered everything as clearly as I could. And yet at the same time in this moment, I didn't know if it was connecting or not. Ever been there before? And finally, in the midst of silence, he looks at me and he says, well, I need to be baptized, don't I? And I said, well, have you, are you, are you, have you believed in Jesus that he is your Lord and Savior? He said, yes. I said, if that's the case, yes, you need to be baptized. He said, so when can I be baptized? Well, I'm a planner and I'm a pastor. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, man, I can make a phone call right now. The baptism can be full on Sunday at church and we'll baptize you at the end of the service right then and there. He said, no, 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 pastor. I, I can't wait till then. I said, okay, well, how about tomorrow? He said, no, no, how about now? And I was like, buddy, I, uh, well, I can make a few phone calls. He said, no, no, no. He said, right now, I know exactly where we can go. He said, right, right down the road here is Allegheny Springs. And there is a creek that is deep enough. We can go right there right now and I can get baptized. And I remember thinking, but it's February. <laughs> I didn't bring a change of clothes. I, I don't have a towel. You know, like all these little petty excuses that are coming up in my mind. And then he was like, no. he's like, seriously, would you baptize me right now? And I said, well, how can I say no to somebody who's saying yes to God? So, so I said, absolutely. He said, well, give me five minutes. He runs inside to his house. His wife, she was a nurse at Roanoke Memorial Hospital. She had worked the night shift. It's now early morning, kind of like, well, 10, well not early, but mid-morning, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock in the morning. He goes inside, wakes her up, gets the kids. We load up in their minivan and off we go to Allegheny Springs in Charlottesville. I'm telling you the choice that he made in that moment. He was so obedient to God. He didn't want to miss that opportunity. God was convicting him and God was working and God was moving and he was saying, I've been forgiven and I've been saved and I'm a brand new creation and I want to identify with Jesus and say, I'm with him. He wouldn't dare miss that moment. And I remember we get into that place and I remember looking at that creek and I remember literally, I mean, he's throwing off his shoes as he's running into the water. And me, I'm like, ooh, that's cold. <laughs> I'm just telling you. I mean, look, he is in the water waiting on me. And he's like, come on, preacher, come on. I got down in that water, and when I finally was able to catch my breath and talk, I baptized him. Publicly, him saying, I'm with Jesus before his wife and his children. I got a few pictures to remember that day. I, I remember how cold that water was. I remember some of the inconvenience, but you know what else I remember? I remember that dynamic, radical obedience to God to say, yes, yes, Lord, I'll obey. And truth be told, there have been a handful of other times. There were times in baptisms just a few months ago, even this morning in the early service, there were some who came just for the normal Sunday, just a normal day, just like today, and they didn't come with anticipation, but God was convicting them and God was burdening them. And so they did the same. They said, yes, God, I want to be baptized. I want the world to know by your grace, I've been saved and I've been set free. The old is gone, the new has come. I'm a new person in you. Maybe you came today just thinking it would be a normal everyday Sunday, but I'm telling you, if God is calling you to say yes to him, say yes to him regardless of the cost. It's interesting when you look at scripture, 
to notice when the people chose to be baptized, when they were baptized, and those same references that I gave a moment ago from Acts 2 and Acts 8 and Acts 16, listen to when they were baptized. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 says it this way. Those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added 3,000 souls. That very day they believed they were baptized. In Acts chapter 8, verse 12, it says, when they believed, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Acts chapter 16, verse 33 of the jailer and his whole household, they were baptized that very hour of the night. They didn't delay. They didn't debate. They didn't deny. They just said yes. In fact, I would suggest to you this morning that we should never delay doing what we know God has clearly called us to do. In fact, I would suggest to you this morning that if there is a hesitation in our hearts and lives to say yes to something that God has so clearly called us to do, then there is likely something much deeper that is wrong spiritually that must be examined in our life. Truth be told is that if Jesus is truly the Lord and ruler of our life, if we're truly seeking to follow him and to honor him, frankly, baptism is not an issue. We see it as a joy and we see it as a blessing. We see it as an opportunity. We see it as a privilege to honor God and to identify with Jesus who is our Savior. But frankly, if Jesus is not the Lord of our life, baptism is a huge issue. We see it perhaps as an embarrassment. We see it as, a, as irrelevant. We see it as unnecessary. It's optional altogether. It's not that big of a deal. But when Jesus is the Lord of our life, it's evident through our desire to honor him. So when should a believer be baptized? The answer is simple, as soon as possible. Final point, and we'll wrap up. The final thing I want you to consider then this morning is the confession of baptism. The confession of baptism. The eunuch has asked, what hinders me from being baptized? Philip says, you must believe with all your heart. He answers affirmatively, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. Then he stops the chariot but he takes it a step further, doesn't he? This simple phrase, and frankly, very simple action, has profound implications for us this morning. Verse 38, he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went where? Down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. The confession of baptism I say the word confession because when someone is baptized, they are making a clear and bold declaration, a confession for all to know. They may not be speaking outwardly very loud, though some do. It's their actions that are being loud and clear for all of us to know and to identify. We see here with the eunuch that literally he stopped the chariot and he and, the, and Philip went down into the water. And there he was baptized in that body of water. It is in this action that I believe there are two areas of baptism that we often overlook and we miss, but they're so important. That is the method of baptism and ultimately the message of baptism. It's clear from Acts chapter 8 that literally the method of baptism is what we find literally all throughout the Bible. And that is that the baptism took place in a specific method, and that is that he was immersed in water. The word baptize in the Greek literally means to immerse or to submerge. 
In that culture, in Bible times, the word was often used to describe a metal worker who would immerse a piece of hot iron in the water to cool it. It was also used to describe a person who would take a cloth and completely immerse it in dye before using it to paint. The word was also used to refer to ships in that day that had completely sunk to the bottom of the sea. That's what the word baptizo, the Greek word, literally means. It means to immerse or to submerge. Now, there are other methods of baptism that are practiced in different groups. Some will practice by pouring and some will practice by sprinkling. And they'll say there's biblical evidence for that. But here's the simple reality. There is a Greek word that's given for the word for sprinkle. It's found a handful of times in the Bible. But every time it's found, it's used in reference to blood, not to water and not to baptism. Secondly, there's another Greek word for the word that's used for pouring. And that word is also used in the Bible, but nearly every single case, it's used in reference to the pouring that took place when someone was being anointed as a priest. It's never used in reference to baptism. God's word that he gave is the word in the Greek that literally means to immerse. And it's the same word that John the Baptist used in John chapter 1, verse 33, when John the Baptist says loud and clear, God sent me to baptize or to immerse in water. Any that were repenting of their sin, they were being immersed in water. And then when Jesus began his earthly ministry, Jesus went to John in Mark chapter one, verse nine. And the Bible says in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth and Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan, in the Jordan River. In other words, Jesus himself was immersed. Shockingly, Jesus and his disciples, when they baptized, guess how they baptized? They baptized by immersion. John chapter 3, verses 22 through 23 says, After these things, Jesus and his disciples came to the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. John was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there. People were coming and were being baptized. And then, of course, that great commission, going to all the world, make disciples, baptizing them. It literally is immersing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're here this morning, you're thinking, Pastor, what is the big deal? Why is this idea and picture of immersion so important? And I'll wrap up with this. It's important because of the message that it proclaims. It's important because of what it is saying. In other words, I would say to us this morning, the method of baptism should accurately convey convey what baptism literally means. Baptism is not just our way of saying, yes, I'm with Jesus. Baptism also is a picture of the fact that we have died, that we have been buried, and that we have been raised to new life with Jesus Christ. Listen to how the Bible says it in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. It says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. In other words, baptism by immersion is the only accurate way to depict what happened in our life at the moment of salvation. Literally, in just a moment, there are going to be a handful of people who have said, who are saying, yes, I'm with Jesus, and they're going to get into this baptism pool, and literally they're going to stand upright before you. Even as Jesus himself was lifted up on that cross where he was up there for all to see, they're going to be standing here before you. 
But the Bible says that Jesus died, and when he died, they took off his body from that cross, and they laid him in a tomb. Well, when these people come forward to be baptized, literally they're going to stand before you. They'll profess their faith in Christ, and then as they're being baptized, we will say, buried in the likeness of his death as they are immersed in water. But three days later, what did Jesus do? He rose again. And so we're not going to hold them under the water. That's good news, right? We'll bring them up out of the water, and we will literally say, raised to walk in the newness of life found in the resurrection. Baptism is simply a picture, an outward picture of the fact that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. And by us identifying with Christ, we are in essence saying, listen, I might still be Matthew Kirkland. That might still be my name. I may still have the same looks and the same background, but I'm not the same Matthew Kirkland I used to be. The old me has been crucified. The old me is gone. I don't live my life for myself anymore. I don't do the things that I want to do anymore. From this day forward, I've been buried with Christ, raised to walk in the newness of life and resurrection. I've been forgiven. I've been set free. I've been changed. I've been made a brand new creation. The old me is gone. Praise God, the new has come. That's what we're saying in baptism. It's not just saying I'm with Jesus. That's part of it. But we're also saying I am a new person because of Jesus. Brings me to a final point, and that point is this. It's a simple question this morning that I believe God wants us to hear and to consider as we close the message and close our time together. That point is found in that simple question in verse 36. When the eunuch saw water, there was a conviction in his heart about the next steps he should take. And so he asked that question, what prevents me from being baptized? Well, I want to kind of flip that question around for just a moment. And I want you to consider that for a moment. I want to ask you today, what prevents you from being baptized? If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you've never been baptized, I would ask you today, what is hindering you today from saying yes to the Lord? What's hindering you from having that type of faith and obedience? Don't let anything get in the way of identifying with Jesus. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 through 33. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Don't let anything prevent you from confessing loud and clear, I am with Jesus. Maybe today better said in the words of Ananias as Apostle Paul retells a story in Acts chapter 22, verse 16. I think if, if Paul could speak to us today, here's what he would say as he already said in Acts 22. Now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized. Today, it's another Sunday, isn't it? You might already have your lunch plans in place, ready to hit the road and be gone. But maybe today is the day where God is looking at you and he's asking, why delay? Get up today and be baptized. You may not have come anticipating of making a decision. You may not have come today anticipating that you would have a choice to make. But I want you to know this morning, if you've never been baptized if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to be baptized. There's kind of two responses today. If you've never believed in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, today's the day. Accept him today. Trust in him today and accept him as Lord and be forgiven and be saved. 
But if you have experienced that already, you should be baptized. And if you haven't been, I would ask you, why not today? So pastor, I didn't bring any changes of clothes. That's okay. We have changed the clothes for you. Pastor, I didn't bring a towel like I was that day as I was walking into that creek. We got plenty of towels. In fact, you may not have come prepared to be obedient to the Lord, but our entire staff and team have prepared for you for there to be no excuse and no reason to delay. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.